0: In session with Dr. Fadid Holakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in: 310 441 555 You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcasts on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Let's get to the books of the week. Uh, The book of the week for this week is on being certain by Robert A. Burton on being certain, believing you are right even when you're not. And, um, definitely one of those where the title caught my eye and I actually have thought of this before that feeling certain or when things feel right we say that even if it feels right or feels certain it does um, actually have a feeling to it it's not just something we say so as we think that if we're certain about something or confident about something or if we know we're right that's about knowledge but actually there is a, a feeling part of it so I wanted to see what this book uh, has to say on that type of a theme on being certain by Robert A. Burton, the subtitle, Believing You Are Right Even When You're Not, and the book of the week from last week that I'll talk about tonight, the subtitle could be um, Believing You Are Right When You Think Your Government Is Not, because this week's, or last week's book of the week that I'll talk about tonight is Civil Disobedience by Henry David Thoreau, Civil Disobedience, and I uh, wanted to read this book, Uh, it's a classic, more like an essay than a book, um, in light of what is happening in Iran and trying to inform and educate myself more when it comes to things related to social movements, revolutions, um, things of that nature, that sort. And so I thought it would be good to read this uh, essay book by Henry David Thoreau Civil disobedience and this book was published first in 1849 and so if we look at the historical context slavery was still part of american life this is before the civil war so uh, there was slavery still part of the united states and there was the mexican-american war both of which henry david thoreau strongly opposed and could not accept and disagreed with wholeheartedly so he was against war especially in the sense of going to war for reasons that don't seem to make sense or justified and against slavery he was an abolitionist um, wanting and pushing for the end of slavery in the united states and so this book essentially civil disobedience you've heard that phrase or that concept probably a lot especially in things related to uh, civil rights movement in the united states uh, gandhi in india we've heard that phrase before but it wasn't a common phrase and actually both of those individuals martin luther king jr and mahatma gandhi were influenced by henry david thoreau in this book civil disobedience and so we see both of them used some of those types of tactics or strategies in what they were able to achieve non-violent types of civil disobedience rather than creating violent actions and so this is also relevant looking at revolutions in a larger scale and what might be happening in iran or what might be possible in iran what will lead to a revolution of course that's a very complex question that i definitely don't have a single answer to but there are different schools of thought or things that we can look at that might give us some guidance. And it does seem that nonviolent types of interventions or nonviolent types of actions can actually lead to revolutions, especially in recent times, more than violent types of actions. And often in history, we have thought that revolution means violence, or you can't have a revolution without violence. and. Um, as I talked about the book on revolutions a few weeks ago, uh, rarely is any movement, any revolution, purely violent or nonviolent, but we can see that you can have a very strongly nonviolent revolution that, that, or movement that turns into a revolution. So in this book, we hear, um, Henry David Thoreau's thoughts on, if we have an unjust government, then supporting it is supporting the injustice and so he even brings up things like paying taxes and he shares the story which uh, from what I read about his life was historically accurate that he did spend one night in jail because he didn't want to pay a very minor tax as far as the sum was concerned but he didn't feel that the principle of it was right to support the government doing things that he didn't agree with so in the book he also says things like this people must cease to hold slaves and to make war on mexico though it costs them their existence as a people Um, and so he didn't agree with supporting a government and giving money that would then be used to at one point he says something like buy a gun to then shoot a mexican or you know this mexican-american war or to pay for the soldier who's going to do it or whatever it might be or to support slavery. So he did not agree with that. So he spent one night in jail. He might have been um, bailed out or they might've been paid by Ralph Waldo Emerson, who he knew quite well. Um, That is not clear, but one account I read suggested that that might've been the case. Nonetheless, um, he felt so wholeheartedly that we should not pay a tax if we think the government is doing unjust things that he did not pay that tax and did go to jail. So definitely someone who Um, literally can say put his money where his mouth is or was willing to pay the cost for what he believed and so this whole essay is a dedication to that that what do we do and so he does even suggest that um, voting and those things might be too slow so he does say that democracy is better than let's say a monarchy or some kind of single monarchy but that maybe we can do better than that as well And so he does believe that less government is good or government that uh, does is not even so visible the government that does less is the good type of government and so some people even call him an anarchist Um, i think that's not so clear definitely i'm not a historian on all of his work but uh, he does say that government should be less involved in people's lives and so especially when they're doing bad things and so this theme of if the government is doing unjust things to support it is unjust uh definitely to me is relevant to what is happening in iran where the government of course is the quote unquote rule of god of law and actually i said god there because in a theocracy it is somehow proclaimed that it's coming from god and so it can't be challenged even though we know that so much of the laws there are not part of of islam won't go down that theme too far except to recognize that when we look at laws as being somehow preordained or having some kind of uh, omnipotence behind them that they can't be challenged, this this always leads to uh, issues because there is no such thing as a a law that has um, omnipotence or is always going to be right or should not be challenged. And so I very much agree with this line of thinking that's presented in the book of how we should be aware of and challenging what's happening. So what's happening in Iran, the government is doing unjust things. And this is where things can feel complicated because justice in general, even in the United States, for example, we have the Supreme uh, Court, which is part of the judicial branch, justice. That's what they're supposed to do. Um, But if we look throughout even American history, we see laws that we would clearly recognize as very unjust being part of the law. A big example is what... uh, Henry David Thoreau was very against slavery. Slavery was part of the law in the United States. It was very legal. And so during that time, if you um, opposed that or tried to resist that, you could go to jail or or experience different types of punishment by the government, and that was considered justice in that time. So justice is a, there's a, a lowercase J we can say in a capital J justice and like a lowercase truth and a, a T truth and a uppercase T truth. Um, and so there's always going to be this type of justice that we have to be open to challenging. And I think this is always a, a difficult thing because I do think there's some understanding of a need for rule of law or um, I know that's used usually in a negative way, but some type of order that has to be maintained. I do have utopian type of visions of futures where it's going to be much less so i agree with henry david thoreau and actually even he says uh it's not that he thinks okay tomorrow we can have no government and everything's going to be okay that's something that i think comes up often even with things like defund the police a slogan um, and movement that exists here in the united states but you can't go from having the police the way it is and then the next day get rid of them and that's not what most proponents would say even if they use that slogan defund the police but we can't just have that kind of change because when a system is in place to change it so swiftly will will lead to disastrous results but nonetheless if we see an unjust government he is suggesting henry david thoreau that it's our responsibility not to support it because if you do then you are part of that injustice and i do agree with that philosophy i think it's hard to live by it at times or does lead to struggle and you could see he himself went to jail and he does suggest that that if you um, go to jail for doing those things or if you'd have to then that should be the price you pay that that's being free is to do that so it's interesting to think that in that sense he's saying you are free when you are in jail when we think is the opposite of being free because you are uh, imprisoned you can't do what you want but in a way you're doing what you want through that action. And so I I could agree with that in principle. I think, I can't say I always have lived by it. I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's it's a little bit, for me, I can say easier said than done to think that I could always follow that, but I think it's very admirable and something to strive towards and something to also pay attention to, to not just be complacent to, well, that's the way it is or that's been the law or that is the law that doesn't mean it can't be challenged in some way. And so we can see the influence that his work had, as I mentioned, Um, I mentioned uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Mahatma Gandhi, but also people from um, Hemingway to Leo Tolstoy, even I saw Marcel Proust and Ernest Hemingway writers were influenced by Henry David Thoreau and by this uh, work, Civil Disobedience. And we can see how meaningful it was that type of action for example here in the united states during the civil rights movement there were things like sit-ins and of course the the bus strike which was very very impactful in the movement that were non-violent ways of doing civil disobedience that led to change and so We can see the impact of his work. And so for me, reading a classic work like this that has impacted a lot of people, you often find, or at least for me, that you see things in it that you agree with, some you don't, it's mixed, but you can see that the impact it has isn't about all of it being a perfect work, there really is no such thing, but that many of the ideas are lasting and have a great impact. And so reading this, there were times I didn't quite agree with it, but most of the things he was saying about opposing an unjust government i wholeheartedly agree with and think it's a very important a principle to follow um, i also think justice reading it he was very forward thinking at the time for being so against slavery let's say of course now we might think well of course and so it's a reminder that justice although we can think of a capital j justice we are striving towards that and our understanding of it always Will improve, And that's yet another reason why we have to be open to challenging rules of law, ways of thinking, what we consider justice, because those things advance. Um, even reading this book, he was very forward-thinking, but he talked about many things just about men. I would say, a man can this, and some of it, of course, we know when people write, especially historically, man could have meant all humans but many parts in the book it was obviously meant man as in males only the men involved in certain types of making decisions or that they were the ones who were let's say taking actions or could take actions of certain kinds and so that itself would be a type of injustice that half of the population did not or was not afforded rights or certain rights or not all of the rights and so he was anti-slavery which is very good but i don't know as far as promoting feminism or promoting women's rights i don't know about that maybe he was in this book i just noticed many instances of that so it was just as i was reading it, thinking of that concept that yes justice is something we try to understand better because we're never quite done and so i'm sure there's many things i believe now to be fair and just that future generations will look back on and think are laughable to think that that's okay, or to accept something that I I say. And I think everyone has to be judged based on their own time period, because you can't say or imagine what it's like to be in a certain historical context. But it is also a reminder of the humility that whatever you believe to be true and believe to be fair, uh, we have to be mindful that that's your best understanding of the moment and even society's best understanding, whatever the rule of law might be. And so again, all of this to me is all the more reason for every one of us to try our best to think for ourselves when it comes to what is fair and what is just. And if we see that the government who is supposed to be the rule of law and supposed to be the ones who uh, determine what is fair and just during a period of time, that we don't allow them to act in unjust ways what we're seeing in Iran is an unjust government carrying out unjust laws in a horrible, horrific way and claiming it's because they know better or they know what's the truth. And whatever their reasoning is, some of it I think they don't even believe themselves. It's just whatever excuse to hold on to power. But to accept their unjust laws would be participating in that injustice. And we're seeing that the people are challenging that quite strongly. And we are in support of them and what they are doing. So that was the book Civil Disobedience by Henry David Thoreau. Let's go to our first commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So I wanted to talk a bit about the World Cup, which started yesterday in Qatar. And uh, Iran played their first game today, this morning, if you're here Pacific Time. started at 5 a.m. and... I have a lot of mixed feelings about the whole thing, the whole World Cup, and definitely Iran um, and their participation and, and all that, which I'll get into. So to begin with, anyone who knows me knows that I'm a very, very big sports fan. I love watching sports since I was a kid, especially started with basketball, but as I got older. Uh, Expanded to other sports as well, and I really enjoy sports, love going to games, any game, really just being part of the crowd and going to stadiums. I think it's really exciting. And in recent years, soccer has become probably my favorite sport. So um, I was very much looking forward to the World Cup for quite some time, and I am still excited. But as I said, there are mixed feelings. Uh, as much as I love sports, I recognize that it's a uh, a thing an event a part of something we do but there are things that are obviously way more important than that that we can't even compare and so iran is a great example of that but before i get to iran specifically even just the world cup being in qatar is a very controversial subject um, from the likelihood that bribes were involved in getting them to host but from fifa so there's large sums of money that were being paid to very clear human rights violations that were done to uh, build all the stadiums and all the infrastructure to have the tournament there when they were awarded the hosting of this tournament back I think it was about 10 years ago or 12 years ago uh, basically uh, using essentially close to slave labor and horrific conditions many thousands of workers dying while working on the stadiums and different parts of the, the infrastructure and, and buildings and things for the tournament, um, to human rights violations in Qatar itself, to the from the rights of women to LGBTQ rights, which are horrible there, um, and just a whole bunch of other things that essentially show the huge inequality of wealth and how there are some that have every comfort and more and then there are millions who have to come into work who don't have those and are essentially again living at times that in close to slave type conditions i think the population of qatar of permanent residents who live there is a few hundred thousand like 380,000, something like that, but millions of people are there because so many people work there. So we see just a lot wrong there. I I remember hearing reports from years ago um, about the buildings of the stadiums and and things, seeing video showing how horrific the the situation was for them as far as their living conditions, working conditions, working in 120-degree Fahrenheit heat for for hours and hours and again many people dying so there's that side of it that's horrific and just the tournament being there is problematic and then of course iran their participation has lots of um it's very emotionally loaded as well so if you asked me five months ago I was very excited for the Iranian team and hoping that they can get out of the group stage paired with England and the U.S. and then eventually Wales. It could have actually even been Ukraine. It was between Wales and Ukraine to to get to that spot. But still, I was very hopeful. I thought maybe they can beat Wales or the fourth team and then tie the U.S. or beat the U.S., possibly get out of the group stage. And I just wanted them to win um, and to see what they could do and was excited about that. But with what's happened the last few months in Iran, of course, as I mentioned before, and it's even more clear in this situation, there are things way more important than sports. And so what's happening in Iran, what the people of Iran are dealing with is way more significant, can't even compare it to these games and what's happening in these games. So um, even in talking about them, it's not to make some kind of comparison, but it's actually just to look at, well, how does this relate to what's going on? So much of the world's focus, my own focus, is on the World Cup as well. And even that itself is concerning. Will it distract people in Iran, or especially people around the world, about what's going on in Iran? The hopes would be that it would not be so. Um, but so my feelings about the Iranian team, the Iranian national team, Team Meldi, has definitely uh, shaped or been shaped by what's going on. Leading up to the tournament for even weeks and months, I was thinking, OK, I, I want to see if it becomes clear in some way or if it can become evident. Are the players playing for the government or are they playing for the people? And of course, there's no um, black or white kind of a line and we can't expect them to make some kind of public declaration, although they could have made much more. Uh, some of the players did. Um, but. It did seem to me more, especially in the recent times, former players were speaking up for the protesters, but the current players, there wasn't as much as I would have liked from them. Now, I say this also while recognizing it's very easy from the outside to tell someone they should do or say something, but what people are going through we don't quite know so i i've seen a lot of things online people saying um really you know they're very mad about the players for not doing more for meeting with i think racy and members of iranian government and there's pictures and they're smiling and joking and i think that does that's really bad and looks bad Uh, but i also don't know the type of pressure these individuals are on not even just for themselves but for their families at times so it's it's difficult or it's very i can say easy from the outside to say well just say something but if you don't know if someone's family is could possibly be in danger it, it could feel very different to say that it's so easy to say something so again i hope more of them would have said something a few players did even um some that played i really i had the name i don't know if it's osmoon is the name of the, the last name of the player um who actually said things very much in support of the the protesters and then he also he said things like long live the women of iran and was very much in support and actually he played he came off the bench even when they announced at the beginning of the game that he had a calf injury my first thought was like oh is that punishment that there you know is he actually not a hundred percent but anyway he came on and actually uh heartbreakingly had a great chance but he, he hit off the crossbar The goalie, Jordan Pickford, got a hand on it, went to the crossbar, didn't go in. I was really hoping he would score, one, because he was supporting the people, but also I wondered, would he do something in a goal celebration that might have some symbolic effect? So again, it's not to say these things matter so much. We want to focus on them, but that they're happening, and so they can have an impact. Now, um, you might have seen, I was watching the game Live, I I was really curious to see what's going to happen. And so the players, you might have seen, they did not sing along with the national anthem. They actually just had very stone-faced looks at the camera. If you've seen soccer matches before, you know that they pan from the whole team usually. Even in club games, they'll do it, but in uh, national, international games, they will pan on the team when they're doing the national anthem for that country. And I saw no one, from the iranian team moving their mouths at all just stone faces i saw the, the coach is a um, portuguese coach so he wasn't singing along i don't know if he even knows the words i saw an assistant coach mouthing a little bit to the words but the players none of them were, were were singing at all so i thought that was good at least some sign i did hear even some reports saying that the national tv in iran didn't play that part they um did, i don't know what they did but they didn't air that part of players not singing along to it um so that was you know i don't know that's interesting not surprising i guess the english players kneeled when the game started so um i saw many people posting this the day before when the english coach southgate had announced that they would be kneeling and i think many people thought this was in support of the iranian people and i can't say that it's not but what i can say is that i've seen the iran uh, the english team do this actually um as it's in response to racism that unfortunately has been a part of well of course the world but we see it in in sports as well and you've seen it in soccer and uh, football across the world different um incidents of racism even the english team themselves recently in the 2020 euros which took place in 2021 last year and they lost uh, on penalties to Italy, the last three penalty takers for England were black players, and they all did not convert their penalt- penalties, and so we saw huge explosion of racism and attacks on them that were racist after that. So they were doing it even before that. I'd seen the, the kneeling. Of course, kneeling became quite prominent in sports, with Colin Kaepernick doing it here in the United States during the National Anthem, which created a huge amount of controversy and possibly... Uh, Jeopardize his career, at least to some extent. But so kneeling has been done as a symbol of um, opposing racism and promoting inclusion, which is what the coach said. From what I saw, I didn't see any direct reports that he said it's for the people of Iran or including the people of Iran. I hope it was. I didn't see any of the Iranian players kneeling. I saw someone say they saw one, but I didn't see that. I, I didn't go back and watch it again. But they didn't kneel. That could have been a moment to do something. Symbolic, but they didn't do that. Now, I was watching the game, and of course, very interested in the game, but I was very interested to see the fans, to see the Iranian fans. And of course, my expectation or my bias is that many people around the world are very much in favor of the Iranian people and their protests and the movement that can turn into a revolution. And so I expected to see more in the crowd. Now, usually when you watch, A a match like the World Cup there's an international feed meaning that we're all watching the exact same thing and this is why if you for example watch sports in America they pan the camera on a certain player and the announcer is already ready to talk about that player because they get to pick who they're going to choose at any moment but if you see an international match they don't have that control so when they're watching the World Cup it's an international feed so of course they could pick who they put the camera on the international feed i didn't see anything during the game that was anyone showing either the old flag, the flag with the lion holding the sword, Um, I saw neither more the current flag. Um, During the National Anthem, I should also say I heard some booze, and that was actually, I was happy that the announcer of the game, I think it was Ian Dark, he said it, um, that there was some booze during the National Anthem, so that was happening. But as far as signs and things, I didn't see anything, I did see a picture posted later showing two people holding signs that said women life freedom but i did read a new york times article that said that one people were not allowed to bring in flags that were the previous flag the the lion flag um and if they even had it on their shirt they had to wear it inside out or they, if they had the flag itself or signs they couldn't bring them in along with any signs that um were considered protest so i don't know those two people might have snuck it in i'm sure other people did as well but um I, don't, I think it was maybe FIFA rules or Qatar rules, and I've seen some videos posted of fans being confronted by uh, officials, or I don't know if they're officials or who they are, whether they're from the Iranian government or you know somehow in support of them, but people were not allowed to come in and to, um, to bring in signs of protest. So that was uh, maybe why I didn't see them, and that made sense to me when I saw that because I was surprised to see none. You would think, okay, someone does. And again, the cameras could have only made sure to show people that did not display anything that could have been a sign of protest. But somewhere in the first half, I think it was around 30 minutes, and the game was quite peculiar because the Iranian goalkeeper early on hit heads with another player and was down for maybe 10 plus minutes which actually led to there being 14 minutes of stoppage time. I've never seen that in the first half of a game, 14 minutes uh, to be added on. But around 30 minutes on the clock, or 30 in the 30s, um, I was listening, and all of a sudden you can hear the crowd saying, or at least some of the crowd saying, Be Sharaf, Be Sharaf, Be Sharaf. And I was, you know, it's, it's a not a, a pleasant word in Farsi, but I don't think I've ever been more pleased to hear it. Maybe actually when I've heard some of the Iranian school girls chanting it to their principal, that one video. I'm sure you've seen many, but there's one that was quite memorable. And that word never sounded so sweet then. And again, it sounded very sweet this time. I was very uh, impressed and um, uh, pleasantly surprised when I saw that or heard that, I should say. And it lasted maybe... Uh, 10 15 seconds maybe 20 seconds then I couldn't hear it anymore you don't know what leads to that happening Um, when Osmond was brought on the field I did hear a loud cheer for him so I think that was again many of the people in support of him and what he had said Uh, Mehdi Taremi ended up scoring two goals one was part of um, open play nice quick shot to the roof of the net I was wondering if you'd celebrate in any way Um, Typically, when teams are losing as bad as Iran was at that point, it was 4-0, it became 4-1. Players don't celebrate much. They quickly get the ball and bring it back to midfield, in essence saying, we want to get the game going because we want to try to get more goals back. On what ended up becoming the last kick of the game, Taremi had another penalty or another goal. He scored on a penalty. Um, But again, he didn't really... I didn't know if you would celebrate in some way. So now the same player, Mehdi Tarami, in his game, maybe a month ago uh, in the Champions League, he plays for FC Porto in Portugal. When he scored two penalties in that game, I forgot who they were playing, but he raised his fist and on his fist, he, on his arm, he was wearing kind of like a black uh, kind of band or on his on his wrist, not on his arm, um, and he raised his fist, which to me seemed like a sign of support the people of iran and his players his teammates you know came to celebrate with him but he didn't really celebrate much in these games in these goals they were losing by so much that he also didn't celebrate but he didn't do anything like that so um all that being said that was uh maybe a lot of detail about the game itself and and my watching experience um it it was hard to know Uh, you know i I felt i had mixed feelings i didn't know if i wanted the team to win because of what's been going on and how they've been in sport, not been so outwardly supporting, except for a few instances and in players, but recently didn't make that line clear that they were playing for the people more than the regime. Um, they were losing, and then I, I didn't quite feel good. It felt weird to see them losing by so much, see the English team celebrating their goals as they were scoring many of them um, on the team. Didn't quite feel good. You could feel that Iranian players, especially once it became... 3 nothing. just looked very defeated. Understandably, they were losing by several goals against a very strong and superior team. So understandably, they seemed disheartened. Uh, the announcers made some comments about what was going on in Iran, which I liked. These were American commentators on Fox Sports or Fox uh, making those comments. So that was good. I was happy to hear them at least making those comments but I had mixed feelings I don't know those of you watching what you had I know many people were very against and even hoping they lose by a lot which I can understand that feeling if you think it's in support of uh, the israel Islamic Republic even when you look at the score it says Islamic Republic of Iran and that doesn't feel good I think for me I was watching thinking hopefully next World Cup it just says Iran and doesn't have that IR in front of it but we will have to see um, but yeah, it, I am still going to be curious. Definitely going to watch the next two games when the team plays Wales and then plays the United States. What I think could be interesting, I'm not sure what to hope for again, because yeah, maybe it's just good if they lose. And then I also wonder if they lose and the last, let's say the last game versus the US is not meaningful for them. Will they be more open to showing some displays or doing something i don't know they of course might have to be aware of the consequences or would be aware of the consequences but it could change how they participate the the games are meaningless in comparison to what's going on to to the people of iran of course but they might even become more meaningless to them as far as the consequences of winning or losing so i wonder if that can have an impact so i guess we'll have to wait and see but as i said mixed emotions all around when it comes to the World Cup, but especially when it comes to the Iranian national team. And we'll see what happens in the next two games. Let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. In the last segment, I was talking about mixed feelings about the World Cup in general and, of course, Team Medley, And then seeing... um, the people of Iran, as we discuss anything happening with Iran, of course, their feelings, their opinions, their stories, those are the ones that matter the most. Those are the ones that we want to pay attention to. And our role right now is to amplify their voices, their stories, the news of, of what is happening there. And of course, I can't take a, a poll or give you exact numbers, I have, but I have seen that The people of Iran seem to not want their team to do well, which can seem um, counterintuitive or against what we tend to think. But as I was saying, it feels very clear for them that the team is playing for the government, not the people. Even I've seen some posts saying, is it Team Meli or Team Mullah? Or, you know, basically, are they playing for the mullahs or are they playing for the country? And so it does feel to many that with the recent photo ops and things that they've done with the government officials and becoming more quiet in their um, support of the protesters and what's going on people don't feel like they are playing for the people and so i could completely understand that even uh, you maybe have seen videos i saw some during the commercial break of people dancing in the street um, celebrating how bad they lost the final score was six to two uh, because of that. So uh, coming back to the people of Iran, um, seeing videos of uh, Kurdish regions of the country, um, Mahabad, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but regions uh, around that area and seeing essentially what looks like warfare, except that instead of a war between, being between two countries, we see a war from the government on its own people within its own country and so we are seeing horrific scenes i'm sure most of you have seen them just videos of showing the military types of equipment and personnel being brought in but then hearing people's screams and their voices and their stories really um, has been heartbreaking this past weekend and it continues and so as i mentioned In the previous segment, briefly, the World Cup, unfortunately, can serve as a distraction to the world and to many people to focus on something else or to focus on this instead of what's going on, which is people's actual lives instead of a game and games that are happening. And so I hope we don't lose that focus and make sure we continue to share these stories of the horrific news I've thankfully seen, um, even the the U.S., um, I think the Secretary of State released, uh, you know, a statement or had a tweet about what's going on, which is good, and saying condemning what is happening, and we need to continue spreading the news of what's happening because people won't know about it unless we continue to spread the word. Um, yeah, so the the Secretary of um, I think it's the Secretary of State, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, Sen- Secretary Anthony Blinken. He put a post about that. So I'm happy to see that. We need more of that, of course, what the impact has, we'll have to wait and see. But we can't stop sharing these stories of of what is going on, which is just unimaginable how horrible it is. And a theme I've shared often in recent weeks about what is going on is how important unity is. And so I talk of course to the people outside of Iran because I can't tell anything to the people of Iran even what I tell to you is my opinion and thoughts on things but definitely can't tell anyone in Iran what to do but one theme that's come up often lately for me that I think is important is unity that for any movement to turn into a revolution and for any support to be meaningful we have to be unified if we're pushing in different directions we won't push something very far but if we all push together in the same direction all at once we can make a big impact, and so I've seen still a lot of unity, but also disunity. Hearing people make things political or make them political-related, let's say to wherever country they are—the United States, Republican issue, a Democrat issue—and I hope we will stop doing those things because, uh, so because if we do that, we're going to create division, and then the voice gets drowned it out. We start fighting with each other rather than fighting the actual enemy which is the people or the government of Iran and the people are fighting that enemy um, with their lives there. And so we have to be very mindful of not making it about us and our own divisions and keeping our support wholeheartedly with them. But when we look at unity and disunity, one could recognize that, well, first of all, the Kurdish people in Iran have been treated poorly for Long time. This is not something new. Unfortunately, even within our Iranian culture, we tend to be quite judgmental and even prejudiced within our Iranian community or in differentiating different Iranian communities. And we know that the regime wants nothing more than for the Iranian people, outside of Iran, of of course, but especially inside of Iran, to become disunified. Because when a movement takes place, though, main way that it becomes a revolution and needs a la- large coalition from a large swath of the population, different portions of the population from different ages, um, different types of professions, different types of socioeconomic background, and then even hopefully government types of officials or agencies or individuals to get involved for that to happen. So we know that the Iranian regime is trying to create Disunity, and it's possible even by attacking Kurdish people more. It could be a sign of saying, "Well, look, we're against these people. You're not these people. Maybe it um, will disunify." And I've been very moved and encouraged and heartened by seeing videos of people chanting, for example, in Tehran in support of people in. Uh, Mahabad saying things like uh, in Farsi, I won't say, but in English, the translation is like Mahabad, Kurdistan, the light and eye of Iran. So I've seen some very beautiful, powerful videos of people chanting, showing that they are in support and solidarity with their sisters and brothers in the Kurdish regions of the country as well. And I hope that continues this uh, spirit of unity and unity of action because. Again, if we become disunified or if they become disunified, it's less likely anything can get done or any change happens. And so the uh, concept or adage of divide and conquer is a very powerful one. If you divide your enemy up, even if they outnumber you, you can still conquer them or maintain power. And that's definitely what the Iranian government recognizes, is that they're clearly outnumbered, that the people that are against them are far fewer than them and their supporters and so they must try to promote this unity in order to hold on to their power so for those of us outside of iran i hope you'll continue your support i've talked to many people about these themes of compassion fatigue and getting tired and getting affected by seeing all the news and the videos and and different things and of course it's going to affect us i I dedicated most of last week's show to this theme that it's going to be happening and so i hope we'll Continue to find the balance to not slow down, but to make sure that we can keep going so that we don't give up, that we keep sharing, keep watching as much as you need to. By that, I mean you might not watch every video, every news story, every time, not because you don't care, but because you care so much that it overwhelms you. So finding the balance of how much can I take and make sure I can maintain the support that I'm giving and sharing. We cannot speak for anyone. All we can do is amplify their voices, amplify their stories, and amplify the news of what is happening in Iran. Because that's another way the government is trying to maintain its powers by quieting, silencing, literally removing electricity and internet access and abilities for people so that they can do horrible things in the dark. So we have to keep shining that light on what's happening there. And more than anything, amplify their voices because we can't speak for anyone, but we can speak up for them and share their voices. So I hope we can continue to do that. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. A big thank you to Ghazaleh here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fairo Lockwi, Zan Zendegi Azadi.